You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. With the NFL playoffs here and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get to, into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hello and welcome to episode two of the yet-to-be-named Women's Hockey Podcast. Uh, my name is Jared Book. Uh, joining me uh, again is Zoe Hayden, uh, editor at Victory Press. Uh, Zoe, how are you? I'm doing so well. How are you? I, I'm doing great. It's it's uh, It's been a lot uh, <laughs> in terms of what has been going on. There's been lots of games. It it It's crazy to me that it's only been three weeks since the uh, start of the the league and uh, some teams are already at 25% of their season uh, and uh, we're, we're doing this till April. It's, uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. And I can't believe how much has happened since the last time that we recorded. Okay. It feels like it's been so much longer. Yeah. And Mary for the play had zero goals the last time we recorded. Um, yeah. And that is, <laughs> that has definitely changed. Um you know, we've seen a lot of awesome kind of individual performances so far. And I don't know that I was really expecting that to happen so quickly. But we've already seen like Marie-Philippe Milan have several multi-goal games. Uh, we saw like Grace Dumwinkle have a hat trick that lifted her team. More recently, Jade Downey-Landry for New York had a hat trick that lifted her team. And she's like the third line center for that team who <laughs> kind of put put the team on her back for the win. So we're already seeing like that type of stuff happening on a regular basis. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned Taylor Heisey either. Um, yeah, who's who had uh, two highlight real goals in one game. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's there, there's a lot happening, and, and it seems like every game has that kind of storyline um, going through it. We'll, we'll we'll start off with I guess favorite moments since the last time that we we recorded. Um, which is a couple of weeks for those who haven't uh, listened to episode one. So, I mean, what, what is, what was your, your favorite moments over the last couple of weeks? Um, I mean, and I swear I'm not saying this just because I'm talking on a Montreal podcast, but <laughs> like every game that Montreal has played has felt like a classic to me. Um, Like I've absolutely loved like just the energy and kind of the back and forth and the high drama that's in every single Montreal matchup. Um, you know, obviously we still have concerns about the Montreal power play only converting at 5%, but like, you know, all these games that have gone to overtime, um, all of these games, you know, last night that went to a shootout, I've also really enjoyed like kind of watching the committee structure of Toronto, um, and see like their game winners kind of coming in this really thrilling fashion. Obviously they've only won two games, but both of those games to me were really fun games to watch. Like. You know, we got Emma Malte's very first uh, jailbreak shorthanded jailbreak, goal. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, we've got, you know, they had their very first shootout win, the very first shootout in league history last night um, with Lorian Rougeau um, kind of coming back home to uh, stun the hometown crowd. Um, and I, I've just really enjoyed like all of those little moments, like people who you may not expect to, to pick up the team just suddenly kind of have that performance turn on. And it's been happening a lot in Montreal, though, I guess, so far, not all the time for the home team. But Mo Montreal seems to just generate this, like, high event hockey that's really fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think they kind of they kind of bring it out of teams, I, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that uh, a lot of that is just because they generally have been very good. Um, and, and I think that there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of excitement that comes with that, right? Like there's there's this expectation when you go to Montreal that you're going to have a great crowd, and you're going to have a lot of media attention, and you're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of like atmosphere in, in games, right? And and I think that yeah, the vibes are going to be immaculate. The DJs right. in Montreal have been the best. It, it's it's uh, the the Mon Montreal has always been at the and I and I'm biased. Well, I've kind of been jaded, right? I think that I've always thought that what Montreal did for women's hockey happened everywhere. And I realized very quickly up until this year, anyway, that that was not the case. Like in the CWHL days, like Montreal was the exception. Um, and and it, it's funny, but a lot of that still is carried over. Like you, you see every team that comes in is like, oh yeah, we were expecting something in Montreal. And, and, and I think that you saw that with New York, coming in uh Boston coming in uh and and then Toronto coming in and you know they've played in in rinks and in big venues and and with big crowds but they they always had something in their up their sleeve for, for Montreal and I think that that's something that um brings has brought the best out of those games like every game that I've been to I've been to four of Montreal's six games and every one that I've been to has been tied 2-2 late in the third period and all the games have ended 3-2, except for yesterday's, which was only 4-3 because there were two goals in the last, what, minute 28. So it's just, mm -hmm. it, it's been crazy. And it's, it, it every game has been kind of like edge of your seats, craziness and moments in there that have just been unbelievable. And and it's um, it, it's a lot of fun because I think that there's, you know, it's funny because the, the narrative in, in quotation marks and air quotes, the narrative was that like, oh, when's Mary Philip Poulain going to score? And, and now it's like everyone's tuning in to see what she's going to do when she scores. Right. And I think that it's there is this there, there's been this this like lull in in kind of her, her greatness. Right. The rivalry series she didn't get a point. She didn't she didn't get a goal in the first two PW games. And I think there was this like question of is she still yeah best? like it was it was kind of like um you know is is she okay like right you know there was some there was some worry um I, I, like I, she, she really she looked human right like she yeah. kind of like she didn't look like she had her shot all the time she was kind of taking some bad penalties and you saw the frustration and now you see like the flip side of that like you know she's a skilled player she's a professional she's going to break through eventually and turn the tide for her team which she very nearly did by herself last night yeah and i mean 
it's to a certain degree it's it's warranted right like time is undefeated right and there's always that question of when is when is that that you know cliff going to come right and and you know as athletes enter their 30s it's you know you never know if if that's um the, the question and i think that the the answer in Mary Flip's case is is there's an emphatic no no i'm still the best um just watch mm-hmm. me and, and i think that that's um for me that was one of the, the the cool things is just not only seeing that happen um you know from someone who watches montreal but just seeing everybody else react to it too and and seeing you know americans be like okay ottawa and toronto fans this is why we've hated her for all these years um <laughs> and, and 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 that kind of uh experience and just it, it just seems like everything is kind of coming up and it is becoming um just really entertaining to see the the best player in the world act like the best player in the world again and and, and it's just a lot of fun to to watch yeah um another team that i've really been enjoying watching is minnesota i think they also have kind of set a pace that's really been exciting to watch maybe especially for people who haven't seen women's hockey before um they play this like really hard for checking style and sometimes they're not generating a lot of shots but when they are generating shots like it's like watch out because they're coming at you with these offensive weapons that it's like you know it's like they're sheathing them in secret and then they unleash them like off the rush or off like kind of a set play and it's like where did this even come from because like you know a a few shifts ago they were just pinning you along the boards and hitting you and hitting you and hitting you you know, and then once they they create that open ice, they're able to use it so efficiently. Um, and I've also really enjoyed watching like those individual performances on Minnesota, like Grace Sumwinkle, like Kendall Coin Schofield, like they've they've really kind of come into their own early. Um, you know, and obviously we're talking about the number one, number two team in the league, right? Teams in the league right now, um, as having played maybe the most exciting brand of hockey. And I think that that's kind of a good sign for the league that the teams that are playing in you know the most fun way the most captivating way are also the teams that are winning yeah no absolutely and and up until um Poulin's high goal against Toronto I think the you know the goals of the year have been Minnesota right either Taylor Heisey uh Grace Zumwinkle's mm-hmm. shorthanded goal against Ottawa to tie the game was just out of this world gorgeous um gorgeous like, one of those goals, like I, 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 I hadn't been feeling well, so I didn't watch the games live, and I hadn't heard about that goal. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't seen anything, and so I'm watching just highlights of of the game afterwards, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, like I wasn't like, you know, when 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 there's a highlight reel play, like you kind of hear about it being a highlight reel play beforehand. Uh, I mm-hmm. didn't have that with Zumwinkle's goal, and then I I just kind of see, I'm like, whoa, like where where did that come from? And and yeah, like that it's. It's it's very exciting that those plays are the ones that are being rewarded, um, and, mm-hmm. and that style of play. Because yeah, I think that you know, you look at Montreal and you look at Minnesota, they're very teams that are very active in transition, trying to generate offense by just going through you, um, as opposed to trying to you know, um, you know, finesse or or, or kind of you know backstop their way to a one nothing win kind of thing so yeah minnesota's 
you know, they're going to play again on Wednesday night, Montreal, Minnesota. And I, I think it's going to be a little bit different than um, the first time they played where, where Minnesota won 3 nothing in front of 13,000 people. Uh, I, I think that yeah. that's, it's obviously going to be a little bit different atmosphere. Um, obviously, there's a lot, a lot of games since then as well. Uh, I think Montreal has, has, you know, improved a lot from um, their their first game against Ottawa and, and, and their game against Minnesota as well. Um, they've gotten points in in every game since then, uh, and I think that it's it's going to be very interesting to see how they go back on the road uh, after having a little bit of you know settling in at home for three games. And yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch because there are two teams that I think match up very well together. And it's funny because Minnesota wasn't on my radar of teams that was going to be among the best, um, but I think a lot of that was not understanding how they built their team. Uh, and and mm-hmm. it, it, it definitely seems like they, they picked the right pieces to, to interact with each other. And, and I think that, you know, getting, obviously getting Taylor Heisey first overall helps, mm-hmm. but by getting someone like Grace Sumpwinkle, um when they did is, is also going to, um, we're going to look back at that probably and be like, okay, yeah, that's, that was, that was a key move as well. Uh, so yeah, it, it, that was that's fun. Yeah, I, I like that there's there's been this kind of like every team, every game that we see, there's kind of like a, a rivalry budding, and, and mm-hmm. it, it's that's always fun to be, see too as these teams play each other more often. And uh, you know, you had Montreal, New York, uh, last week. Uh, with uh, yeah, that's been the nastiest, nastiest matchup in the league so far. I think yeah. is like watching those two just go at each other. Like, it, and, and it, obviously there's mutual respect, but it's like it gets very physical and very gnarly. Yeah, and and a lot of a lot of local players who know each other too, right? Like, there's like New York has the most Quebecers on their team, other than Montreal. Um, so there's there's a lot of players who know each other for a long time, and that, I think that plays into it as well uh but yeah i mean then you have like you know abby rock and land going at it and then the whole uh handshake incident yeah um, what was that about man <laughs> i i still i don't know if we'll ever get the full story out of anyone on that but it was uh that was kind of interesting it, it, it was spicy i was kind of like yeah. holding out hope that like you know oh the league's not going to do handshakes anymore so we're going to get serious everyone's going to be real serious and then they said, no, actually, we, we want this. We want this all the time. And I thought, like, maybe there is even, like, a practical reason behind it because it does, like, kind of prolong the post-game process. Like, it keeps people from attending media obligations as quickly. It, you know, delays everyone's return to the locker room. And I thought that might have something to do with it. But no, it was, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But it was, uh, at least for one game, we had a little bit of, like, wrestling-style drama. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it was it was very funny because I as you sort of like I, I was I was there in the, in the press box when it was happening and you see New York leave and it's like okay I guess they're not doing this anymore and obviously it was the drama with the missing sticks as well, um, mm-hmm. which um, it was an airport issue it wasn't like the the Montreal team like moved them in the arena or whatever um, it was mm-hmm. it was an airport issue where the the six got delayed um, they were on a road trip they had just played in Minnesota a few days earlier um and and things like that and eventually they got their sticks for the second period they they had sticks because the 
their equipment managers went to like a local Montreal uh, company uh, and got them uh, what they needed. So just obviously not an ideal scenario uh, to enter a game. And th there's a lot of reasons why they could have been uh, upset. Uh, and I think that that's, and then when you see them leaving the ice and Montreal being like, Hey, where, where are you guys going? Uh, and you can see it a little bit on the, on the feed, um, the broadcast feed as well, where players are like, Hey, where, where, where are they? Why are they leaving? And uh, so after the game, you know, there are a lot of questions we had to ask, like usually the opposing coach comes in uh, to a media and there's not really much to ask. It's just kind of like, so, you know, how'd the game go? What, but this one, they had, we had the equipment to talk about. We had the the handshakes, and so I, I was the one who asked Howie Draper. I'm like, so what? You know what happened uh, with the handshakes? Just wondering, and he's like, oh, we the we were uh, given a league directive to, to not shake hands, and I'm like, oh, okay. Weird that much y'all would expect it then, but whatever. Okay, yeah, it makes sense for all the reasons you said, right? Like, you know, it's the second meeting of the year. Like, you know, are we going to be doing this every game, in the regular season? And then uh, when when Corey Chevry, Montreal's head coach, came out, uh, I asked her, I'm like, so, you know, how he said that um, there was a league directive, uh, what, did you get that on your end? Or what was, there, what was the issue? And she's like, um, she's like, no, our hockey operations team had no idea. We, we are not told anything different. Um, so we were expecting to, to shake hands. And it's like, all right. So now what's, and then, the last thing I expected was the league to release a statement about it. Um, I <laughs> thought it was just going to go away. Uh, and then the league comes out and says uh, that, no, there was a, a miscommunication, but we definitely want to do this. And they'll resume today uh, with the two games. I think it was, it was Toronto, Toronto, Boston, and um, Ottawa, Minnesota, right? That day. Mm -hmm. um, and like, yeah, both games will have post-game handshakes again. Uh, we apologize for not having them on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, so definitely um, a little bit of spiciness uh, in in the early part of the season. But yeah, I, I just a lot of like every game is is a rivalry game now, right? It, it's just a lot of a lot of fun, and I think that that's going to develop even more as we get you know more games uh, between teams, and also when the games start meaning a lot more, right? You know, now the standings they mean things, uh, but you know when they really start to to matter and that's not even talking about playoffs um yeah it, it's gonna be um it's gonna be insane it's hard to kind of conceptualize that we've really just started and we still have this incredibly small sample size like right. you know like minnesota started hot like what if they go on a losing streak like any team could go on could go on a winning streak or a losing streak at any time like we just don't know yet um you know which is why i'm kind of like and i know that it's possibly for selfish reasons because obviously like there were several of us in the media sphere and even in the analytics sphere who really anticipated that Toronto was going to play a lot better than they have been. Um, and I think, you know, there's a little bit of defensiveness on our part, like, Oh, they're going to get it together. They're going to be fine. <laughs> um, but like, you know, they, they did show like a lot more yesterday in particular against Montreal. And there's, you know, a chance that they could be, opportunistic like let's say another team is having a bad run someone important on that team goes down with an injury and there's a hole you know like I I think we're underselling how tight these games really are sometimes when we're right. looking at say the struggles of Toronto or maybe the offensive struggles of Boston 
um, like we're we're underselling like how like deeply close they are to being right in the hunt with everybody else. Like it's a really competitive league. Like every single game has been close, even the ones that you know were decided by more than one goal. Um, they're they're all incredibly close games with you know ample opportunity for the team that's down to come back, and we've seen a ton of comebacks. Like I think, granted, I don't watch you know, a whole lot of NHL hockey anymore, but it's more comebacks than I remember seeing in the NHL, um, which I think has to be thrilling for fans because it's like your team is never really out of it, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that definitely. And, and it's it's interesting because Toronto, you know, after the game on, on Saturday, they were just like, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not worried. Like it's, we're still working towards it. We're, you know, we're getting better. Um, and, and I think that that's something that's, that's going to be very interesting. But I think it's also, you know, I, I think that everyone expected Toronto to be, uh, to be better, but I, I think it also showed that there might be some issues with their, their roster as well. Um, mm-hmm. And, and if things don't go a hundred percent, right. What, what might happen? And, Obviously, there's a lot of talent there, right? Like, if you have, you know, uh, you know, they have like Jesse Confer on their third line. Like, there's there's talent there, uh, and and the ability to to turn things around. Like that Nurse Spooner Connors line was out of this world. Um, on on Saturday, and even even against Boston, they were very good. And, and it's just little things, you know, like Troy Ryan mentioned about like just making sure that they don't give. Lauren Gable and pulling a space to to go around them, uh, like they did in in the the last two games they played, uh, especially in the last minute of those games where where they scored those those big goals, uh, and, and things like that. And I think that that's that's going to be the thing that's going to develop as the year goes on. Like you mentioned, um, when you mentioned Minnesota, and and how you know one one minute they're they're grinding you against the boards and the other. You know, and then a few minutes later, they're they're going right through you in transition. It it, it kind of brought me back to something that Corey Chevry said, and and how in, in hockey your your game plan is is setting up other things. And she made a, a football analogy, and there was football on in the media room um, at the <laughs> same time. So I don't know if that played into it, but she's like, where you you know you run to set up the pass, and then you pass to set up the run, and and, and things like that. And she's like you know, for, we, they kind of go in like groups of five minutes and like for five minutes, you know, if you want to have space to enter the zone with possession, you have to chip it in for a few minutes and, and get them to to give you space and expect you to chip it in. And uh, then that sets you up space to, to go in with, with possession and, and things like that. And it's just, it's very interesting to, to, to hear that in that way. And I, and I think that that's, we haven't had really a an opportunity to see what full time coaching can do at, at this level, right. right? And I think that that's like even even at the, the highest levels when you're talking about world championships and Olympics, it's like you know week long, couple week tournaments. Like it's not yeah. something that 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 you have a full season to uh, to develop. Like we're we're entering now week three of of you know in season practices but they've been practicing since november um and and i think that there's we haven't even scratched the surface of 
you know, how teams are going to improve as the season goes on. And, and I think that's a big thing because, you know, you look at Toronto going two and four in their first six games, you know, teams are going to go two and four in over a six game period. It's just that one happened to do it at the beginning of the season. One might do it games, you know, seven to 12. And then, um, you know, and it's going to be very interesting to see which teams improve the most as the season goes on, because I think those are going to be the teams that are going to be in the playoffs and the ones that we're really going to um, worry about or not worry about, but the ones we're going to focus on uh, as, as, as the favorites. Uh, once, yeah, once it's, the season um, gets into the end. It's a marathon, not a sprint for sure. And, yeah. you know, we, exactly as you said, like these, the tournament style that we're kind of used to seeing um, really is, a, has to be a completely different style of coaching because you're really just kind of, throwing things together, seeing what works and making a lot of adjustments on the fly. Um, and you really don't have time to sit and analyze it so much. You don't have time to say like implement a system. You don't have time to say like run that drill, like in practice, however many times you want to do it until you get it right. Like you're just going to have so much more opportunity for, you know, set, setting a system, making adjustments, um, working on individual skills, um, but not just working on individual skills, but working on individual skills together, like, you know, saying like, let's see if we can nail this pass at this angle. Let's see if we can, you know, tip this in at, from this transition play, like, you know, they're going to be running so many things that I think they probably haven't had the opportunity to do since college in a lot of cases. Um, and, you know, even these players coming from the PHF who were say being coached over the course of an entire regular season by the same coaching staff it wasn't nearly at the same like level of time. Like they weren't getting the same um, amount of practices in. they weren't getting, you know, the benefit of say having an entire off day where they're actually doing like team practice all day together, team meal, working on tape all day together. Um, that really wasn't something that they had access to before. And again, something that players really haven't had access to in many cases since college. Um, yeah, exactly. So I think it's, you're really going to start to see um, things come together over over a longer period of time. And what really excites me is thinking about how much different it's even going to look, say, like next season when you have all these players returning um, and having such a level of familiarity with each other where they're going to be able to, like, you know, take everything to the next level over and over and over again. Um, it's just the possible, the, the upside is like, you know, infinite, in my opinion, like it's only going to get better and it's only going to get harder to win. Um, and I think that's where you're really going to see like the detail level start to really shift these games. Like, you know, we're still kind of in the feeling it out period, but like, let's say, you know, the next six games, we hit the middle of the season. Like it's not going to be feeling each other out anymore. You're going to have seen, you know, tons of tape of your opponent. You're going to have played against that opponent several times already, and you're going to know what to expect. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy because like it's I feel like not even on a team perspective, but there's a lot of players, and and then you know other than the the national team players who haven't been full time hockey players before, and, and mm-hmm. I think that even the ability to just focus on hockey only and you know have a dedicated gym and a dedicated strength coach and just all these things that, you know, even dedicated coaching, right? Like, you know, having full-time um, or even part-time skills coaching 
um, in in some of these organizations, and and working on specific things. And you know, team development is one thing, but also player development is is something that that's going to be different as well. And you know, you mentioned difference about tournament. Like you're not going to be, you can't rely on your top players thirty players thirty minutes a night anymore. Like mm-hmm. you know, you can't you can't play. Um, you know, four four D and and six forwards and get away with it over a twenty four game season. You're gonna have to use your whole bench, um, even some of your reserve players, and and, and really look at it that way. And it, it's gonna be really interesting to see which, even which players. And, and I think that you know we'll go into like the 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 things that have surprised us. Um, and mm-hmm. one of the, the the main thing that has surprised me. For, through you know uh some teams have played obviously six games some teams have played five uh some teams have played as low as three but you look at the the number the, the players that have zero points so far this season and you're looking at players like Hillary Knight and Blair Turnbull and Brianne Jenner and and it's just like you look at those names of having no points and it's it's kind of surprise. It's crazy to me that that's that we're we're you know, we're this far into the season. And those players still don't have a point, and you know their teams are still doing okay. And and I think that that speaks to the the pool of players. Um, I don't want to say that has been overlooked, but just underappreciated, I guess. Um, and it, it's you you know Boston has so much offensive talent, and you know if you would have said that they'd be uh, you know, two and two, but Hillary Knight, their captain, has no points. You'd probably be like, "How is that happening?" And so it's the things like that is you know when you look at Blair Turnbull, Brianne Jenner, Hillary Knight, three names that are probably some of the most recognizable to anybody um, who even relatively plays attention to women's hockey. Um, the the number of big names that are pointless still is is what surprised me so far. Definitely, and you know I've. That, that's kind of a more unpleasant surprise, perhaps. But I guess yes. a, a, the, the flip side of that is also like, you know, you're really starting to see, I think, um, players who have strong vision and playmaking ability getting to rise to the top of people's mm-hmm. consciousness. Um, and I think it's like really going to start educating people more and more about like how women's hockey works, how the flow it goes and really in my opinion, the defender position in women's hockey is so much different than how the defender position has played in men's hockey traditionally. Like I'm thinking like Ella Shelton, who has Mm -hmm. uh, seven points. She's tied for second in the league with me, Marie Philippe Glenn, like just the way that she's been able to set people up and kind of direct play from the blue line. And also like her mobility um, is just a classic example of like the type of uh, defense position that I've loved watching ever since I fell in love with this sport. Like, she's just she's everywhere she needs to be she's setting people up she's putting in a few of her own as well and it's just so exciting to see a player like Ellis Shelton really get like the spotlight in this league because I think like you know obviously she has had time on the national team but like you know she hasn't been in such a prominent scoring position on any team before I don't think like at this level right like she's you know, close to leading the league in points. And she's really showing like where her kind of support skills are, like how she supports the puck, how she distributes the puck. Um, And it's been really exciting to watch a player like that get rewarded. Yeah. She's, she's someone who like, we, 
there were, there were two levels of people who are going to emerge with this league, right? The first level is the people who are outside the national team picture mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, are either playing in the PHF or NCAA, but just for no matter of reason not making their national team who emerge and say, oh, I can play at this level too. Mm-hmm. And then the second level of player that was always going to emerge is going to be that the the bottom tiers of the national team picture mm-hmm. who don't get the opportunities that they will in this league and then emerge that way. Like Ella Shelton, you know, whenever you talk about Team Canada defense, which by the way is not like a super strong position, but uh, you hear about, you know, Renata Fast and Jocelyn LaRock and Aaron Ambrose and Claire Thompson you know, th- those are four. There's not really much room else for anybody else, right? And so uh, someone like Ella Shelton, who becomes now a top pairing player or uh, a top two pairing player on, on New York, uh, especially, you know, when they're missing Mike Zandy Hart, uh, is just, you know, coming up and showing what she can do in that situation. Someone like Grace Zumwinkle, who has been on, on the bottom uh, bubble, uh, I would say, of, of Team USA, is getting an opportunity mm-hmm. playing on top line um, and and doing what she's doing. Um, and, and I think that that's the, the kind of the two-tiered people who are going to be like emerging from um, the, the kind of, obsc- I don't want to say obscurity, but just relative obscurity, I guess, uh, of, of where they were. And, and yeah, Ella Shelton is absolutely one of those players who, even as somebody who has followed the Canadian national team has been like, Oh, that's why she was drafted in the first round. Um, and and you kind of see, um, you kind of see that going, like she was drafted before Aaron Ambrose before, you know, Jamie Bourbonnet and like people who, who have had more opportunities than her. And I think that she's taking that opportunity and really riding with it. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see how, this like we we know that this league is going to change the evaluation and the pecking order of the national teams, but it'll be very interesting to see just how much that changes, because it, mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see, especially given you know in Canada's case that you know they're they're very very involved in this league as well, right? So um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops as well. Yeah, not to uh, talk too much about New York again, but like. That's a great segue into discussing the play of Corinne Schroeder. Um, I don't think anybody is surprised to watch the way she played in the PHF for Boston last year. Like she was an incredible goaltender and she's just really picked right back up where she left off. It's like, you know, she's just on automatic right now. Um, And, you know, uh, not to take anything away from the great legacy of Team Canada goaltending, but you have to think like she's got to get a look at some point. She's, you know, the way that she manages like chaos in the crease is just second to none. Like I haven't seen very many other goaltenders be able to just be so cool under pressure um, the way that she's been. And I think that she's really elevating herself in on a, on a new stage. And that's something else that's been awesome to see. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's going to be, there's always some level of pull politics when it comes to i'm not talking about like off the ice politics i'm, I'm talking about like mm-hmm. in hockey politics yeah, uh, when, hockey when it politics. comes when, when it comes to when it comes to this and it's it, it's it's gonna be like 
if you're Gina Kingsbury and Troy Ryan, how do you possibly, and I don't want to dump on Kristen Campbell because I, I feel like I did that last time as well, but I, that's not what I'm doing. But how could yeah, you possibly- Yeah, she's played very well. Right, yeah. she's, she's played very well. I mean, you know, anybody who stops Mary for the plant four, three out of four times in the shootout uh, is, is not playing badly. And obviously she was a big reason why Toronto um, has been in both of their last two games. Um, you know, the the, Auto, the Ottawa game was obviously um, not her best, but- Every goalie has a bad game, but you know how could mm-hmm. you look at this and and not be like, now how can you not take Kareem Schroeder to Team Canada now? Mm-hmm. But then the question becomes, who does she replace? Right, like you know, Anne Renee mm-hmm. is still going to be the number one. Um, you know, Emirates Mashmar has done nothing to warrant her being out of that conversation either, uh, and so it's like it, it becomes kind of a. A, a delicate situation where the people making this decision are also the people who have, who have invested so much in Kristen Campbell as their number one goalie in Toronto. Um, I'm not saying that that's going to play a part, but I, I think that, you know, absolutely. Kareem Schroeder is someone who's, you know, in that group where outside the national team picture, she had a couple of camps here and there. Um, you know, I think she even was on the rivalry series roster, um, mm-hmm. at, you know, for, for a couple of games. Uh, but then get into a game, but you know when when you see this going on, you, you kind of you know how could you ignore someone like that? And I think that's going to be very interesting because you now have the apples to apples comparison. It's not like oh this person's in the NCAA, this person's playing you know three games every couple of months in the PWHPA. Uh, you don't have this person's playing uh, in in the PHF, and and now it's just. Um, it's it's a uh, gonna be very interesting to see how it develops not only on the Canadian side but on the American side too because you know there's a group of four or five goaltenders um, on that side mm-hmm. as well who are who are battling for spots um, and some of them are in the same crease with each other in Minnesota especially so um, it, it's gonna be very interesting to see but yeah I mean Kareem Schroeder has been just as good as she was in the PHF uh, last year where she set pretty much every every record that was this, available for, the, for her to set um with the with the Boston Pride and uh is is not missing a beat with with New York uh as well yeah. and kind of distancing herself and, from, from Abby Levy as well. Yeah and worlds are coming up very soon in Utica. Like, very soon. That's, it's gonna be here before we know it. Yeah. And like uh the the roster selection process is going to be interesting I think. I think that I don't know. I part of me thinks that like they're gonna Team USA and Team Canada are both kind of gonna select rosters in a way as if this league isn't happening. But I love to be pleasantly surprised by that. I'd love to see them like take a more serious look at some players who they haven't maybe focused on before. And there's also rivalry series coming up in February. Uh, I, I don't yeah. think th- I don't think those rosters have been announced yet either. So I, I think that you know rivalry series historically has been an area especially in season um, where there might not be NCAA players available uh, and things like that, where they can show a little bit more creativity. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes as well and uh, how that plays into it. And yeah, I, I don't expect drastic changes in year one, but I think as we start to get into this Olympic cycle, um, it, it's going to get very interesting because um, <clears throat> with the added attention that women's hockey is getting at the professional level now that's going to carry over to worlds and and things like that and um people are going to start asking 
these questions and and understanding what's going on. And there was always this kind of undercurrent of that uh, with players who have been uh, ignored in the past. And, you know, whether it's someone as far back as Anne-Sophie Bate or, um, you know, more recently the, you know, Lauren Gables uh, of the world and, and things like that. And it, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, who emerges because it, what this is showing is that there's it's a very small gap between that, that even between the the players on this on this team and it, it's going to be very interesting to see and also it gives it gives them let's be honest a, a better view of these players right it, it's not always about mm-hmm. how it's not always um about oh we we know this person that's why we're taking them but but it, it's it's also we don't know this person we don't know how they're going to react to playing in uh an environment like this do we really want to take that chance in uh, a world championship and and not knowing how they're going to react. So I, I think that this maybe casts aside some of the doubt as well mm-hmm. um, for both Canada, US as, as well, and, and kind of giving them an opportunity to be like, oh, okay, we know what these people are doing. We have to game plan against them. We have to do things like that. So it's, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops. And especially when, you know, this league is going to eliminate centralization. Right. And, and that is going to be very interesting because those rosters are going to be a moving target for that entire Olympic year leading up to the Olympics. And I think that's going to be something that's going to, you know, we see it, We you know, it's been a while even since we've seen it on the men's side because the, the NHL hasn't gone to the Olympics uh, in, in a long time. But that's something that was always, you know, a, a moving target of conversation. And I think that we're going to see that on the women's side as well because. You know, no longer are you going to have the roster set essentially in August, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and kind of forget it, and they play amongst each other for you know six months or so. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, it's definitely going to change. I think the tenor of the Olympics in general, um, and I don't know. I'm kind of like fifty fifty on how it might go because on one hand, like you know, I do think the centralization process. And the fact that like this was what they were playing for, like they really didn't have, you know, something else to aspire to, let's say, other than say playing on the national team, playing in the Olympics, bringing home a medal for your country. Like that was like the pinnacle of the sport. And that's why you get the strong sense that like the PWHL is going to continue to honor the international tournament cycles because that's like what made this game, right? Like if we don't have those tournaments, we don't have a sport really. Um but like will do you think it will like potentially kind of lessen the intensity to a certain degree i don't know i i wonder about that sometimes i wonder if like it'll it'll eventually like over the per- a period of years kind of become less of the main event whether the pro game would kind of like usurp it similar to how the nhl has kind of usurped international men's hockey completely yeah. like we really don't have after world juniors are over like you know once you get to the senior level you really don't get excited about international men's hockey um, unless you just really love international IIHF hockey, um, which some people do. And I I would count myself among, among that group. Like I love watching international hockey, but it's just, it doesn't get the same hype anymore on the men's side as maybe it used to. And we have all these, like, you know, the historical stories of all these great Olympic Mm -hmm. tournaments on the men's side, but we can't have them anymore because the NHL has a stranglehold on, on the player pool. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. So I, I, I think it's, I think there's, there's two ways of looking at it. I, I think one is that a, the NHL, like the NHL had to integrate the Olympics into its structure already. Whereas the PWHL is kind of built around this um, mm-hmm. and, and it's kind of built into the CBA where it's like, yeah, we're going to have international breaks. Um, and it's not only for the world or the Olympics, but also for, you know, the, the IIHF windows and, you know, the, the four nations cups and the, um, the European cups and the, the rivalry series and things like that as well. So uh, I, I don't think it'll ever go away. And I think even to a certain point, it'll even go even higher when this mm-hmm. league, and, and this kind of transitions into what we're going to be talking about next, I think, but when this league transitions to a true world best on best, you're going to want to see, these teammates going at it internationally, right? You're going to want mm-hmm. to see, um, you're, you're going to want to see, you know, uh, the the Finns and the Swedes and the Czechs and the Canadians and the Americans, and see how they they've developed together and mm-hmm. then what what they are apart. So I think that because it's kind of because it's come first, I think that it's kind of changed the perception a little bit of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the business of the PWHL, obviously, like you said, is, is in part because of the popularity of the international game. Um, and also because it, I think it's, it's, it's kind of my, what I'm, what I'm most interested in seeing is exactly is how the players are going to react to being back under double IHF physicality rules, um, after playing uh, a few months in, uh, in, in this league and you see it. You know, when whenever Sweden goes to uh, an international competition, whether it's the U18s or or the Women's Worlds, uh, there's a little bit of transition for them, uh, and they rack up the penalties really early, a lot really early on until they realize, oh right, there's not as much hitting in the WHF as there is in the SDHL or in the PWHL as we're we're, we're talking about now. Um, so that's going to be very interesting to see how that transition happens as well, and, and it's obviously something you see a little bit in men's hockey. Um, but it, it's going to be very interesting to see how it is in the women's game as well. When we look at the the future of the PWHL, what like where where is it going? And you know, do you, do you see this? You know, th- there's a lot of reports out of Europe already that it's going to be a very it's going to be best on best uh, in the PWHL. Bef- you know, before we know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... You know, we heard the the Lulea president said that many of his players are interested in playing in the P in the PWHL instead, um, or their contracts are exp- expiring and they're not sure what they're going to do yet. Um, I think that it's like we keep saying that this has already exceeded our expectations, right? And I have to think that the people who are running the league must feel the same way, right? Like it's it's already proven to be an extremely high level of play that is captivating people that interests people and that you know we've already discoursed so much about uh the the reduction in professional roster spots after the phf was bought out you know so we i think it's going to be a tough first few years you know with people trying to get in on this right especially if they're not planning on expanding right away and I am not a business person, like I'm a socialist. I don't, I don't understand how money works. Um, but I have to think that like expanding at least two teams 
as soon as like physically possible would be a really good idea, right? Because you're, you have so many people who are going to be graduating college. You have so many players in Europe who are seeing that they could be improving so much more playing against a higher level of competition in this league. Um, people want to play in this league now. And, you know, we, like we've been saying, we're only 25% of the way through the season um, at, at most for some of these teams. And it's already gotten so much buzz. We're just getting started, right? So who, where are we going to put all these people who want to come into the league next year? Like assuming that some of the people who signed one-year contracts this year are planning on continuing to play as well. Like it's, it, we're going to be absolutely just overwhelmed with high quality players who want to play in this league. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny because, you know, whenever I see expansion, I'm like, look, they're not going to do it in year two because, you know, they've already done this whole, let's start a thing in six months. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and year two is, is essentially year 1.5 if we're being honest, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. um, that that's really what we have to, to look at. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it, it becomes a question, like, it's not only the amount of very talented NCAA players who are going to be entering this league or have already graduated who have not been able to get a chance, um, but also all the very experienced people in Europe um, who have had contracts and couldn't declare for the start of the season um and you know we're already signed so they couldn't you know put an out clause into their contracts uh like some of the people um some of the players did uh alina Mueller, obviously uh, dominica leskova uh went back to sweden also after the draft um before coming back for training camp it, it's going to be like when you add you know and we're we're just throwing names out there there's nothing confirmed at this point but you know, you can imagine who the top players are who want to come to this league and, you know, the Petra Niemannins and the Yeni Hirokoskis and, you know, all these players. And, you know, when they come in, and, and, I, and I think it's already started in a way, but there's going to be a kind of exodus, like there's going to be a, a transfer of, of economy in, in, a, in a certain way uh, of where, you know, a lot of North Americans are going to be, now forced to go to Europe to play and not because of lack of options like in the past, but just because players from Europe are coming in and taking those spots and there's going to be spots available for them in Europe. And so it's going to be, you know, like someone like Lillian Perot who tried out for Ottawa was cut and then signed with Frolunda uh, as they, as they're trying to, to fill spots for, um, players who who have been injured and things like that. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this kind of exchange happens because it's going to happen organically and it's going to happen very quickly. And, and I think mm-hmm. that I, I think that year three is is the one that you have to kind of circle as when expansion is going to happen because it's just going to be year two is going to be I think crazy in terms of the influx of talent um, because it's going to be the first full off season the first full, uh, you know, players who have kind of had their, their contracts expire, uh, a whole new group of NCAA players and U sports players, and, and just kind of have that transition. And then things are going to have to kind of fall into place. It's going to be a lot of musical chairs. And, and then I think, you know, once you have another full season, once the PWH has a full season, October to May or whatever it's going to be, 
next season, then you can start talking about, okay, you know, year three, there's already these markets that are interested that were close to getting teams already. Uh, what's going to happen uh, going forward? And I think that's going to be a, it's going to be so organic that it's not going to be, oh, you know, is this league expanding too quickly? It's going to be like, well, yeah, no, of course they're going to have to do this because look at all these players who don't have jobs right now um, and, and who are obviously talented players. Um, you know, you, you look at, you know, just, just going from, you know, 23 players on six teams, like th there's, there's a potential that there's going to be like national team players who don't have jobs uh, in this <laughs> league. And, and, and I think that there's going to be an obvious uh, an obvious need for for expansion. I think there already is an obvious need for expansion because of all the jobs that have been lost um, through the, the the PHF folding and ev and everything happening there. Um, but I think that you know that was even before all these Europeans came over. Um, you know, for the most part, a lot of Europeans have already played in North America that are in the PWHL. So I think that right, they start, were in NCAA. Yeah, NCAA or, or even PHF beforehand right or um so I, I think that there's going to be a lot of um you know things about that and so it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next off season and there's obviously going to be free agency with the one-year contracts and and things like that and and yeah it's, it's going to be very evident quickly that there's going to be a need for expansion uh and the the, the only question is how how quickly do they expand? Like, do they do an NHL style where they go from six to 12? Uh, I don't think they'll necessarily go that quickly, but who knows? Who knows what this league looks like in, in a year, right? It's it's yeah. crazy what it looks like in after three weeks. This is a, like a completely uninformed hunch, but I really think that like two teams sooner rather than later is probably going to be the sweet spot um, because it's like, it's not too many, but it's like, it seems like just the right amount to kind of like stick your toe in the water and see like, Oh, like how, how is this going to work? How do we do this? How do we like say restructure a schedule? How do we conduct an expansion draft? How do we conduct like, you know, a free agency period with ex expansion in mind? Like, because what that's going to be like, you know, 46 roster spots with reserves. Um, and I think that that's like just kind of just the right number to hit where you're not, diluting the talent pool from other teams too much but you're also like opening up um enough roster spots so that like many of the talented players who are graduating or might be playing overseas or might have been on the bubble in you know the previous training camps are kind of getting an opportunity um and I think in particular like the goaltender position is still like just ridiculously deep both in North America and in Europe like you know, there are so many goaltenders who would be playing like the best hockey of their lives in the PWHL right now who just aren't in this league yet for whatever reason. Um, and I think that like, you know, opening up, say like six goaltender spots, again, that seems like a really good sweet spot for me for like the first round of expansion, if I'm just being purely theoretical. Yeah. And I think that there's also other avenues they can explore. And, and Jaina Hefford was asked this in, in Montreal um, before the home opener. And they're like, you know, what's the, the biggest priority? Is it expansion or is it kind of having a development tier uh, in mm -hmm. the league as well? And, and I wonder whether 
they do, you know, yes, expanding the teams is and you know the the demand is there in the markets, the the demand is there talent wise, and, and yeah, maybe you know two teams is where you expand there, but then you also instead of having three reserve spots, you have twenty three reserve spots and have a a whole second tier of of talent where the expectations aren't necessarily as high and you know you have like a um you know kind of a uh football a soccer level of of reserve teams that kind of just they play against each other and you know you can keep statistics and standings and stuff like that but you know they play in smaller venues or and or even practice facilities and and stuff like that and and i wonder if that's something that they look at as well because mm-hmm. not not only for you know having the ability to move players up and down and in and out of the lineup we've already seen teams that want to do that more often um montreal at the forefront of that uh since since Catherine dubois made her debut um they've been kind of um you know mom about how they're going to what they're going to do after her 10 day contract but also you know, hinted that they're, you know, looking at the league to be like, hey, can we just have, you know, 26 spots and move people in and out of the lineup as we want uh, and, and stuff like that. And I, I think that, you know, we have to understand that there's going to be moving targets with with all of that as well. But I also think that there's, um, it, it'd be pretty easy to just, you know, all these players who, you know, might want to be part-time players for now, but still want to have somewhere to play, they can do so in like a reserve league and and kind of go that way as well. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen for next season or or even a year after, but I think that that's something that's also going to be looked at in this timeline because you don't want to necessarily move players out of the potential player pool uh, at right. 22 years old again, right? Like we, we've been down that road. We, we know what that's like. Uh, and yes, it's for different reasons than it maybe was in the past, but I think that there's uh, a real need for this. And, and, you know, if the physicality keeps going, there's going to be a yeah. need for more than three reserve players uh, yeah. on a team as well, because, you know, it's, it's going to be physical. There's going to be injuries and, and, you know, knock on wood, there hasn't been that many, um, all things considered. I, I think that there could have been a lot more uh, if we're being honest. Uh, given the nature of the physicality and and some players who just you know haven't been prepared for it, um, so I mean it, it's, but I, I think that you know three reserves can be used up pretty quickly, especially in in a yeah. case like Montreal where you know we know that Melody Daou is not available to be a full time player, right? So what what happens if you know there's like two injuries and Montreal has to you know use uh, a third person, and so it just you know, things like that. And also there's a lot of third goalies who are not getting any game action. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, yes, you know, teams want to keep these goalies. Yes. They're, they have contracts. They're, they're getting paid as regular players, but the whole point is that they want to be in game action. And, and I think that having kind of a reserve structure underneath will, will benefit them as well. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I, I think maybe like, injury management was something that they kind of had to say, well, we'll figure it out as we go along because they simply just don't have the infrastructure, right? Like the NHL has, you know, a, a over 100 year head start in terms of developing this. And it's like NHL two-way contracts are kind of like the bread and butter of like that league. Like 
being able to call someone up when someone gets injured is like an integral part of professional hockey as we know it. Um, and they're gonna, they're gonna see the need for it, I think, very, very soon. Um, again, something else that I think they're gonna be thinking about sooner rather than later, just because like, you know, people want to play and people need to play. And if they're going to sustain the league playing at this pace at this level, they're going to need to have players coming in who aren't, you know, completely cold. Like they're, they're going to want to be calling in players who have those reps in who are used to taking a hit um, outside of practice. You know, it's, um, it's going to be better for everybody when they do have that infrastructure built up for sure. Yeah. And there's also this like kind of vague, about the reserve rosters too like uh where it's possible for other teams to take reserve players when but not play against the teams that were their reserve players on like it's kind of like mm-hmm. they're they're kind of practice players but they're also free agents kind of it's it's just is very vague a lot of the roster situation is vague right like even even the fact that um you know the we know that Montreal hasn't didn't use LTIR like Minnesota has, and what New York did with Jill Sonnier and Alexa Grusho, uh, and getting that spot kind of flipped around, um, is not what Montreal did. Montreal had players sit out for precautionary reasons, and then they were back, but Cat Dubois was still able to play, and they have technically twenty four players on the roster during this contract period, and it's just it, it's. I'm sure that there's things behind the scenes that are being changed and, and looked at. And it's just all that has to be kind of flushed out and made public, I think at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also like it, it's all, all of that has to be considered and, and, you know, it's amazing what they've been doing and building this league in so many times. But I think that there's a lot of practical things like LTIR, which wasn't even in the CBA um, and would then have uh, a real rule with it and, and things like that that have to be uh, done as well. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be looked at as well. And it's it's going to be very interesting to see how this evolves and I think also how quickly it evolves because it's, it's something that I think is going to be, you know, everyone's – everyone's kind of been looked at like, you know, we're going to get things wrong at first and we'll adjust and things and we'll change things. And, and, and by all accounts, they've been doing very good at that. But at the same time, there's not a whole lot of time before season two. Uh, and, and I think that that's where a lot of things are going to happen. And, and there's a lot of questions long-term about what, what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, what's going to happen when, you know, a goalie has to play a game that hasn't played a game in four months <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, or, I mean, even, I mean, even longer, right. Because they, they've, a lot of them have gone a year without playing a game or, you know, maybe they played a game in Utica, but that's, that's about it. So it's, it's going to be interesting because as the season goes on, everything gets amplified and the, if there's any issues that come up, it's going to come at a, more important point of the season than right now. Um, so it's, it's going to be, I wouldn't want to necessarily be a, a GM or in league operations and try and figure all this out on the fly because it's, uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting, but yeah, I, it's, it's all positive. And I think that's, that's the, the cool thing is that as good as things are right now, it, we're just scratching the surface, right? It, it's, it's kind of wild to think about that. Yeah. I think, 
there's definitely like, there're going to be so many more opportunities to make mistakes and screw up in a much more high profile situation going yes. forward um so it's like i'm glad that they're taking it slow and i'm glad that they're acknowledging that things are in flux um i would like you know when i have written uh emails to the league asking like for more specifics about like roster management for example and how like the roster limits work and i would love to have gotten answers to those things right <laughs> um and i because i did email them a lot with a lot of questions about things like this and haven't heard back yet so i i'm kind of fine with the idea of it being in flux for the most part as long as like it gets more transparent in the future um that's that's all we've ever wanted right is like transparency from the league um (laughs) so uh i think it's everything's trending in the right direction so to speak it's just, um, it's going to be a matter like over a long enough timeline, like seeing how it actually gets executed. Um, but it's it's exciting for sure because what we've already seen has been phenomenal. Yeah, and I think you know, like you mentioned, you know, there's going to be screw ups and and high profile screw ups. But I think that the positive thing is that the way that this has started, it, it's not going to be like it was when you know, people couldn't order merch or, or, or things like that. Like we now have a baseline where the next big, like mistake that happens is not going to be like, Oh, this is the league's downfall. Now it's (laughs) never, you know, like I, I feel like we've, we've, we've reached a plateau. Um, like, like, you know, like when you're in like a, a video game and like you reach like a certain point, like a checkpoint and you can't go back beyond that like mm-hmm. and uh, you've, you've reached like a certain level that you can't go back down past uh i feel like we've done that already um and, and i think that that's that's a positive note is that like there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be things that don't work out well or or that aren't made a mistake but but the they've they've already reached the point of you know they the, it's still better than than where they were you know, six months ago, as an example. Um, so yeah, it's 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 funny because we're we're talking in hypotheticals. We don't even know we don't know yet. Uh, but it, it's it's also a situation where, yeah, you know, I I asked them like, so who who was placed on IR? And the the answer I got from Montreal was nobody. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. So they just have 24 players and people are okay with it. Uh, and I mean, there must be some rule or, or guideline or, you know, uh, directive that has been given to every team that there's not like, you know, these teams putting out protests, you know, uh, and things like that. Like, <laughs> but it, it's just, yeah, it'd be nice to have uh, all these rules um, figured out. But, but I think a lot of it is that they don't have these rules figured out. So there's a lot of grace area, not just for Montreal, but for every team um in this situation because i mean even a team like minnesota when you know sydney brock comes back who is that 24th player who gets their contract taken away right like we, mm-hmm. we don't we don't we, you know what i mean like there's, there's a lot of question marks about about what this is because they they started the season with basically 24 players on their roster one on ltir so there's not like it's not like a new york situation where uh they signed someone from the reserves to replace Jill Sonnier, 
it's a little bit different. So it's just going to be, um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this develops. And, and obviously it's, it's, it makes sense that it's taking time. Um, and you know, when you start a league in six months, you can't figure out every single scenario for injuries uh, and roster management. Like that's very low on the totem pole of, of things that need to be looked at. Um, and, and the list of things. Yeah. To me, at. it's almost like, um, if they're letting say Montreal carry this extra player, then I think that essentially feels like a go ahead to any other GM. Like, oh, if I'm in this situation, then I can do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and hopefully like that's really all that needs to be said. As long as everyone gets the same benefit, then it really doesn't impact competition that much. Right. Um, so, you know, go with God, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the big thing is like, if, you know, if the end game is that, you know, it becomes this kind of like, yeah, there's 26 players and you can move them in and up in and out of the lineup as you want. Um, you know, kind of thing. And obviously there's financial impacts to that where, um, you know, Mark Walter is going to have to pay, you know, uh, 18 of, uh, additional players full salaries. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's, there's a, it's not as easy as being like, yeah, just move players in and out. No matter, it doesn't make a difference. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to that point or if it's just going to be a, a, an issue where, you know, yeah, if you have a player who's a little bit banged up, uh, but it's not very serious, sign somebody to a 10 day contract. And then for that duration of 10 day contract there, you know, you can have 24 players and that's it. Like it's, it's not something that's going to change the, uh, change the, the level of, of competition. It's, it's not like, it's not like New York is like making up uh phantom injuries to get Claire Thompson in as, to as many games as possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's, 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 it's not like that is, it's not like um something that's affecting the competition or the integrity of this league. Yeah. It, nobody's it, trying to cheat right it, it, exactly it's just a matter of trying to get as many people into games as possible right like um and, and i think that that's something that's that's good overall I, I don't see why the pwhlpa will be against it because it gets more people into games um so i think yeah i think is uh, if they provide more flexibility between the the reserves and, and playing games I, I think that that only benefits everybody mm-hmm Zoe, thank you so much for for joining me. It's it's going to be a lot of fun um, talking about women's hockey in an environment where we talk about like actual games and and things like that. Is, yeah, like is, sports stuff, not just nice. like the existential dread that we all have about like whether anything is going to happen good in this world, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you know, even post games have changed, right? Like at first, it was like, oh, you know how how big is this moment for, for girls and, and little girls and, and things like that. And even that has shifted to like, no, we just need to get this power play going. You know, like it's, yeah. it's such a, it's such a refreshing, refreshing change. And I think that that's, um, it's like a new normal that that's going to progress. And yeah, it's going to be great. And thank you all for listening. Uh, and yes, uh, thank you so much. And uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, either at eyes on the prize uh, at, at the victory press, um, uh, message, you know, tweet or post at us. What, what do you even call it now? Um, I just call I, it posting. I still call yeah. it tweeting. Yeah, yeah no, it, if exactly. anyone wants us to talk about anything in particular, they should absolutely let us know because, you yeah. know, we can come up with our own topics all day, but if anyone actually has a question, I'm sure we'd love to go off on it. Absolutely. Like if you ever have something that comes up, if you have a question or, or something you want us to look into, uh, 
tweet us, uh, either me or Zoe, uh, and we'll be happy to to talk about it on on the next episode. So, uh, so far it seems to be every couple of weeks that we're doing this. It, it seems pretty pretty regular. I think that's a good pace to go at with the amount of games that we're we're seeing, and obviously with the breaks, it's going to be uh, the breaks coming up, the international breaks. So it's going to be uh, a lot of fun going forward. So yeah, definitely keep us um in mind if you have any questions uh thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next time thank you bye